Oh, good evening, you guys. Um, it's really great to be here uh, with you guys. I'm uh, really thankful that you guys are here, that um, you guys came down tonight um, to be a part of what God is doing um, here at Rimrock Downtown. Um, and that's the point, that God is doing something. And uh, he's, we believe that God is here tonight. Um, we believe that he is present and he's ready to do something in the lives of every single one of us. And uh, I'm just going to pray right now and just ask our hearts to be open to that and ask uh, uh, him to just uh, really speak to us tonight. Um, Jesus, um, Lord God, uh, we come here before you and uh, we thank you that you are present, that you are with us, um, that you have sent your spirit um, to to be with us and to invade our lives. And I pray that tonight you would do that. You would invade us, invade our hearts, uh, invade our souls and everything that, uh, of who we are. And um, that we would be moved, that we would be changed, that we would um, be different uh, because of you in this room. And uh, we just give you this time um, for you to do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we are walking through the book of Psalms um, this uh, month and looking at uh, different situations that life kind of throws at us um, and really how, specifically how we respond to those situations, um, how we respond with our, our emotions, our lives, how we respond to God, how we see God and, um, and connect with God and meet God in those times. Um, specifically, we're really looking at um, the psalmists and how they went through similar situations, similar situations that we go through every day and how they saw and met God there as well. Um, David, uh, we're looking at a lot of David's um, poetry that he wrote in his times of trials and troubles, and we're looking at uh, a lot of his psalms and how he responded to the situations that we can connect with. So David went through a lot, and he went through a lot of different um, seasons and different times in life um, that we can connect with, that, uh, you know, struggle, joy, um, hardship, um, anxiety, <laughs> depression, um, all these things that oftentimes we can connect with in our own lives. How did David, uh, this psalmist, this king, respond to those situations? How did he see God in them? How did he meet God in them? How did he connect with God in those situations. And, uh, and so tonight we're going to look at Psalm 63. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Psalm 63. This is an amazing psalm that David writes, um, and especially when we know where he's at when he's writing this. And David, um, it says that he is in the wilderness of Judah as he's writing this psalm to God, this song to God right? And, um, and so just to give a little backdrop of David and where he's at um, in, this, uh, in this time, in this wilderness, that um, David has already been anointed king, right? By God, by Samuel, the prophet from God, right? He's been anointed king. He is rightfully the king. Um, yet there's another king, King Saul, that is on the throne still, right? That has not been dethroned. And uh, in fact, David actually serves under this king, uh, for years. And then this King Saul, he gets threatened, he gets jealous by David, and he seeks to kill David. And he is, is because he's threatened for, you know, good reason, because David is rightfully the anointed king, 
um, Saul tries to kill David, and so David flees, and David runs, and David is being, his life is being chased after, right? He is running literally for his life into this wilderness, right? And, uh, and so in this wilderness, he, he faces struggles, he faces battles, he faces, faces temptation, he faces all these things, all these people that are trying to get his focus trying to get his eyes off of God, trying to get his eyes off of God's plan that he has for his life, right? We can relate. I think we, I hope that we can relate to that. Can you relate to knowing who we are in Christ, having our identity in Christ, and trying to live out what, that God has a plan for us, trying to live this life that God has a plan for us, yet Day after day, we face struggle. Day after day, we face trials, temptations, and these things that just try to get our focus and get our eyes off of God, right? This is where David's at in this wilderness. You see, David knows his identity. He knows that his identity is that he's been anointed king. God has made him king. And he knows God's promises for him, that he will one day be king. Yet he faces all these struggles. He faces these things that are coming at him and trying to get him to desire other things. And it's in this moment, it's in this wilderness, it's in this place that David pens this song to God. And Psalm 63, 1 starts out like this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Can you imagine that? I mean, the picture, the imagery of being in a land where there is no water and how thirsty you are and how parched, that's David's heart and David's emotions for God himself. That's what David desires. Even in the face of all these things that are coming at him, David seeks God. David desires God. And he could have desired a lot more things. He could have said, God, you are my God, make me king. Give me what I rightly deserve. Give me what's due to me. Give me my throne, God. That's what I desire. But David doesn't do that. David simply seeks God and desires God alone. And this is what I want to talk to us tonight about is desire. What do we desire? The desires of our heart. We live in a world where desire is always stronger than satisfaction. Desire is always stronger than satisfaction in this world. And, and we um, are faced with this and desire just saturates our culture right? You, you see it everywhere, desire, right? And we eat it up because honestly, we were created with this desire in us. That's how we were created with this desire inside of our hearts. If you think about it, we are, we are not naturally, I don't know about you guys, maybe I won't speak for anybody, but I'm not naturally satisfied and every once in a while dis- dissatisfied, Right? <laughs> Okay, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not naturally peaceful, and every once in a while I get anxious, right? 
<laughs> no, I'm not naturally content and every once in a while get discontent and get you know, uncomfortable. We are not naturally restful people. We are naturally restless. St. Augustine, an early church father, said this about this. We are made for you, O Lord, for our hearts will remain restless until it rests in you. We are made for you, O Lord, for our hearts will remain restless until it rests in you. We are, we are created with this restlessness inside of us, and that restlessness is, is meant, is created to be satisfied by God, by our Creator, by Him alone. We're created, and this, what we do with this restlessness, what we do with this seeking and longing inside of us to seek satisfaction, that is, that is our worship. Think about that. What we do with our restlessness, that is our worship. And we are created to worship. And you can take this to the bank. We are always worshiping something all the time. That's a sobering thought. That we are always worshiping something all the time. There is no neutral ground. You're either worshiping the one who can satisfy or the one who can't satisfy. You're the, either worshiping the one that can bring peace or the one and the things that don't bring peace. We're always worshiping. It's not if we're worshiping, it's what we're worshiping. Life is filled with so many things that can capture our desires, our wants, our needs. We, uh, it's, life is, is seeking to, to capture, to be the object of our worship, right? All these things. We're confronted with things that we do desire, and we're confronted with things that we don't desire, right? When I think of things I don't desire, um, here's what I think about. I think about my wife saying, hey, do you want to do the dishes? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Who wants to do the dishes? No one desires to do the dishes, right? No one, okay? What I do desire to do is go downstairs and, and binge on Netflix, right? And, and watch my Netflix epi episode, right? That's what I do desire, <laughs> Also, my kids, right? Emery's over there, I think. Is Emery over there? I don't know. Emery's right there, yeah. If I ask her, hey, Emery, do you want to uh, go clean your room? No. There you go, right? No. Who wants to clean their room? No one wants to. No one desires to clean their room. And what they do desire to do is take every single toy out and spread it all over the floor. <laughs> And then an hour later expect you to clean it up while you're making them their third breakfast, right? That's what they, that's what they desire, right? And we see that our desires, they are focused on around what captures our hearts. Washing dishes does not capture my heart, right? Cleaning the house does not capture my heart, but our desires are wrapped around what captures our hearts, and what captivates us. When we look at our lives, uh, we, we look at the things 
that capture desires that form our wants, that uh, are the objects of our worship, and we have to ask the question. This is the question we have to ask in this. What, how are they forming us? What are they doing to us? What is forming us and how is it forming us? Because if we're created to worship and we're always worshiping something, then everything we do is forming our worship. You think about that. Everything we do is forming who we are and what we're worshiping. It's not just some these things, these things that we do. Whatever it is we do in life, it's not just something we do. It's doing something to us. And I want us to catch that tonight. It's not just something we do, but everything we do is doing something to us. We don't have to look too far to see the things that we're doing that are doing something to us. Tonight, we are here. We are gathered here in this place. And it's doing something to us, I hope. I hope that that worship was doing something to you. I hope that even more so this message is doing something to you and forming you in a good way. The way that God wants to form us. When we're in community like this and throughout our weeks, it does something to us. When we're praying, when we're reading God's word, when we're out in nature, whatever it is, it's doing something to us. And it doesn't, we don't have to look too far also to see the things that are doing something to us in a negative way. And I'm not going to slam anything, I'm not going to think, but we don't have to look too much further than our pockets to see the things that are doing something to us. Okay? This thing does something to me. Okay? And I have to admit that. I'm not saying abandon it. I'm not saying throw it out. I'm not saying, you know, go, uh, whatever, go live in a commune in a desert, you know, without any technology or whatever. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying recognize that this does something to us. Facebook, Instagram, social media, all these things do something to our hearts and to our lives. You go down the street to the mall, to Target, to Amazon.com, that does something to us, Okay. Right? I'm not saying throw it out, but recognize that what is it doing to us? How is it forming and shaping us? Commercials on TV, billboards on the street, Netflix, the shows that we watch, the movies that we see are doing something to us. All these things are forming us, shaping us, and doing something in our lives. Uh, my working definition tonight for these things and the things that we do is what I call liturgies. Okay, it's an ancient Christian term, but it can be used by, uh, towards anything that we do. Liturgies are simply this. They're simply um, formative, love-shaping, worship-forming habits of the heart. That can be forming us to love God, to worship God. Or it can be forming habits that worship other things. And so that's my working definition tonight. Liturgies. What are the things that you do that do something to you? That create 
these habits. The question, this question, what are the things I'm doing that are doing something to me has permeated my life, has penetrated my heart this week in an unbelievable way. It has wrecked me in certain ways. It has disturbed me in certain ways because it shows me how I spend my time, how I spend my money, my resources, and how I spend my day and it reveals the desires of my heart, the true desires, not the ones I want to say are my desires, but my true desires. It reveals that. It's also exposing a lot of things that I'm allowing my kids to be around and to put in front of my kids and knowing that what I'm allowing them to do is doing something to them. I am helping form their desires and their worship, and that is wrecking my life, right? <laughs> that is heavy. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to all these things that are, that are reaching out to us and wanting, trying to capture, capture and captivate our desires and our hearts and our worship? Well, David, David says this. What did David do that formed such this deep desire for God that in the middle of a wilderness he can say, God, earnestly I seek you with everything I have. Well, he goes on to say this in verse 2 through 4. He says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, and my hands, sorry, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Do you see the liturgies that David is doing that he finds himself doing that are doing something to him? That are forming his deep desire for God? His eyes are fixed on God. He is, he is worshiping with his eyes fixed on God. His lips are speaking truth. And that is doing something to him as he speaks truth. His hands are in the posture of receiving. David desires God in the midst of the wilderness because he refuses all the other cultural liturgies, all the other things that are after him, all the other things that are telling him to do this. He refuses them and he does the things that form and shape his life and his worship after God. What liturgies are we partaking in? What are the things that we do that are doing something to us? Why do we come to church? Why, why do we sing these songs? Why do we listen to the sermon and be in community together? I, you know, is, is it so that we can just show our devotion to God and say, God, look, look what I did for you. I went to church tonight. Look what I did for you. I woke up every single day in the morning and read my Bible. Look what I did for you. I prayed three times a day. Look what I did to you. You know, this makes us the primary actor in this relationship. But in reality, God wants to be the primary actor. And I hope that by doing these things of being in community coming to church tonight, singing songs of worship, speaking truth with your lips, putting yourself in a posture of receiving, whatever that might look like. 
I hope that by doing so, God is forming you. God is shaping you and doing something to you. And we can say, God, I want to come and let you do something to me. Let you form me. Now, I want you guys to hear the heart in what I'm saying and not the duty, right? I want you guys to hear the grace and not the guilt. I'm not saying you need to do, do, do all these things, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But if we recognize that everything we do is doing something to us, and if we realize that we're always worshiping something, then if we're not putting ourselves in a posture under these sacred liturgies, these liturgies that bring us closer to God, that help us receive what God wants to do to us, then if we don't do those things, then we will turn inevitably to the secular liturgies of the world, the liturgies that are calling for our worship, for our hearts out there. We will turn to them, and it will do something to us. The reality and the grace that I see in this, that God is always present to us. He has, by his grace, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, made himself present to us. Will we allow ourselves to be present to him? Will we allow ourselves to be present to him? And when we do, this is God's promise. And we see it in David's testimony. When he does these things, when he uh, forms his desires, when we form our desires around God, he will satisfy that deepest longing inside of us, that restlessness that we all feel. David says this in verses 5 through 8, My soul will be satisfied. Everything about me and who I am will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, two other liturgies, remembering and meditating, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I love that. My soul clings to you. Uh, there's a quote by uh, the reformer Martin Luther. Say, he says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is your God. That is powerful and sobering sometimes. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is your God. What does your heart cling to? What does my heart cling to? And here at the last of this psalm is the victory. Here is the victory that we can shout with all these things that are coming after us in our life, that are vying for our worship, that are trying to capture our hearts and our desires, all those things that are seeking to really destroy our life. He says this, but those, those things, those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him, him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. All these things that say they can satisfy in the world, all these things that try to capture our hearts and say, love me, worship me, 
they are just liars. They are nothing but liars. And when we turn our eyes to God, they will be stopped. That is the victory. Tonight, um, as I close, we're going to take communion together. And this is something that we've been doing um, this whole series. And I love it uh, because uh, as I've been prepping for this sermon and this message, I realize, man, communion, as, as we take communion, this is secular liturgy, or s- sacred liturgy. This is doing something to us, I hope. As we take this together, we remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? It's not just something we do. It does something to us. When we do this, we remember his sacrifice. We remember his body broken for us. We remember his blood shed for us. We remember his work, his work, not ours. Right? We remember his work and his promise and his hope. And so we're going to come up and, and, and take communion. The worship band is going to come up and, and receive communion first. Um, as they do, there's going to be a little bit of silence. And I want us to note that silence is a liturgy too. How often do we partake in silence in this busy, noisy world? And so let's receive the silence and let it do something to us. Let me pray as the worship team comes up. Lord Jesus, thank you for the work that you've done and the grace that you've given us and shown us, God. I pray as we take this communion, that we take your body, we take your blood, that we would remember you and your work, that we would find freedom in that. and Help us um, to be formed and changed into the people that worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.